The Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 2 to 13. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me, to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and by which he showed his holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading this morning is from John chapter 7 verses 37 to 44. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some asked, surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was a division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus is that living water. We thank you for your spirit of holiness who lives in and among us and brings life to your world. 
And we pray now that as we sit with your scriptures, that you would in fact be among us and in us and with us, giving light to our eyes and giving life to our mortal bodies, uh, that we might love you and serve you and go forth from here into your world as, uh, as streams of your life in your world. So we ask your blessing now through Christ our Lord. Amen. So on Thursday and Friday of this week, uh, we had our, our semi-annual meeting of the city classes, which is the family or network of churches across the country that we belong to. And we had several opportunities as ministers and elders and church leaders uh, to check in with one another and just talk about how we're doing and how our church communities are doing, how our, how our neighbors are doing. And so this theme of, the, of pandemic weariness was coming up a lot as we were checking in with people that we haven't talked to since uh, March uh, often. So we were catching up on six months of life in this season. And we did a lot of listening to one another. And a lot of people gave voice to griefs and losses from this season. And the things that they named, the things that we named were, you know, losses of human touch or connection, hugs, uh, kids being in school or playing together or uh, being in one another's homes or some were even naming the names of friends and loved ones who'd passed away due to COVID. Uh, and one pastor even was talking about a, a sense of loss of trust among the community. We're having six months of not being physically present to one another the way that we're used to, that, uh, that navigating some of these massive issues that we're in the midst of right now, uh, the, the trust that has always been there feels like it's strained as we're separated. Just a lot of, a lot of things getting named and a lot of heaviness in the room. Uh, but it was lovely to be there together with the community of people. But it made me, um, I, it, it, I've been thinking since then about this snowball effect of the long frustration. And I bring that up simply because the, uh, the text that we just read from Numbers chapter 20 is a text that speaks into a moment a lot like that. This, uh, this episode of the story of the water in the wilderness, it comes from the 40th year of Israel's wilderness journey. And it reveals both the people's uh, wilderness fatigue and failing faith on one hand, and then on the other hand, it reveals God's enduring faithfulness, his trustworthiness to stick with his people and to stay true to his promise. But what's interesting uh, is that this story in Numbers 20 that describes this event uh, that took place at the end of the wilderness journey, it's almost exactly the same as a previous episode from Israel's first year of wandering in the wilderness. And so the story we're reading this morning is actually a reprise of an earlier story. Now in the Curry household, we listen to Hamilton quite a bit. Uh, my, my son Will is super into it and, and he's in kindergarten. So it's not age appropriate to listen to the whole play uh, or watch the whole thing. So we have to be selective about what we let him listen to. And there are two different tracks on Hamilton that are called Stay Alive. And the first one he can handle, and the second one is a little bit too intense. You know, the first one is the more of the generic stuff of a young wife, Eliza, singing Stay Alive to her young husband as he goes off to war, and the general uh, anxieties around the real dangers of war. The second one is the mother, Eliza, uh, with her son 
on his deathbed fighting for his life right before her eyes. It's much more intense, uh, the, the chronic versus the acute. And so we have to steer clear of the reprise because it gets dark and not quite kindergarten ready. Well, this Numbers chapter 20 reprise is like the dark remix <laughs> that takes an earlier story and then takes it up a notch, and, or maybe we should say takes it down several notches. Because this story that we find here is very similar to the one from Exodus chapter 17, from their first wandering in the wilderness, where they drink water from a rock. Uh, in, in Exodus 17, they're in the wilderness of Sin. Here they're in the wilderness of Zin, different place, very similar name. In both stories, the people quarrel with Moses about not having water. Moses goes before the Lord to ask what he should do, and God tells Moses what to do. In both stories, uh, Moses strikes uh, the rock with his staff, and water comes out, and the people drink. And in both stories, the place gets to be called Meribah, because the people quarreled with the Lord, and that word means quarrel. So all that stuff is in both stories. One at the beginning of the wilderness journey, one at the very end. And they're, so they're like bookends around this wilderness wandering season. Uh, and though at this case, you might say that what happens though, uh, as we get to the reprise is we go from the major key to the minor key and the story takes a kind of dark turn. Because in this story, we see actually Moses fail where he had succeeded before. And as you and I navigate the wilderness of life in a broken world and we're drawing our connection from the wilderness story of Israel to our own wilderness experience of life in 2020, I think what we need to see is some of the features of this wilderness experience and then the ray of hope as God breaks into the midst of it. He keeps moving his promise forward and he meets his quarrelsome people and his failed leader with his trustworthy holiness. So I wanna think about the story in three movements. One, the quarrel of the people. Then secondly, the failure of Moses. And then third, the holiness of the Lord. And so let's consider the, the quarrel of the people here. I mean, we've already seen all the way through our series, right? Complaining is a major theme of this wilderness journey. It gets introduced right at the beginning, and then the rest of the story is like variations on the theme of the people's grumbling about their situation, right? And so by the time we get to this complaint, 40 years into our, our wilderness journey, it's like listening to a broken record. And it's the, it's the same complaint that they had their first year in the wilderness. We have no water to drink. And I mean, that seems legit, right? I mean, water is a need not a want, and so asking for water to drink doesn't seem like an unreasonable request. But they actually don't even ask, do they? If you look at the story, uh, this time they don't even ask. They just quarrel. And it's as if they hadn't been sustained for 40 years, right? It's they, they, they relate to their moment, they relate to their frustration and to their lack from this perspective of scarcity. What's central in their own experience is what they don't have. And what's missing from view is the 40 years of sustaining grace that they've depended on as God has kept them alive all through their journey. And here they get to this place and they don't have water and they want water, they need water, but they don't even ask. And what happens is uh, when you see this quarrel emerge, you begin to realize the way that they come about it, it's not even really about the water, is it? If it were about the water, they would ask for the water. 
What this really is about is about the water plus all the 40 years of frustration. All the things that they've wanted all along. All the disappointments, all the losses, all the griefs, the snowballing effect of 40 years of living in suboptimal conditions, of wanting a permanence that they can't have. And I think that's really instructive for us as this pandemic season keeps on going because the longer and longer it goes, the more we too are liable to the same kind of snowballing of frustrations, right? And I don't know, have you caught yourself erupting recently? Do you see any places in your own life where you realize you're responding to something that annoyed you or frustrated you or hurt you and your response is disproportionate to the offense? So I blew up uh, like a week ago to a family member on a text thread, someone who pushed just that wrong button. Uh, and I responded to a family member in a very unkind way that is not typical of how I respond to people, but it caught me off guard because I kind of unloaded. It was a political thing, it, you know, all the stuff. But I realized that I, re I reacted in that moment towards someone I love in a very unloving way and not about the thing. It's not about the thing. In the long season of frustration, right, as we begin to let the lack, the frustration, the difficulties kind of take over and we lean into the scarcity rather than into the abundance of the living water that is ours in Jesus, the wellsprings of God's life and grace and mercy that are available to us all the time, as we lean into the scarcity instead of the abundance, the frustrations collect, they grow, and we carry them around like a big old burden, or we stuff them in like a bomb waiting to go off, and then sometimes they do. Maybe you know something like that. I know something like that. And I think our Israelites in the story are exhibiting something a lot like that. They need water, they're legitimately thirsty, but when they begin to voice their complaint, uh, their frustration and their resentment come out. They don't even ask, they assume, and then they start to wax eloquent on the complaint, right? Would that we had died with our kindred before the Lord. You know, if you remember back to the story uh, from last week of Korah and Dathan and Abiram and they rebelled and they, the ground swallowed them up. Here the thirsty Israelites are like, if only we could have been swallowed up by the ground in this horrific moment. They identify themselves with those who stood in opposition to Moses and the Lord. They're venting. They're venting. It's not ultimately about the water. It's not even ultimately about them being tired of the wilderness. It's that they want what God can give them more than they want God himself. And you and I do the same thing, don't we? We slip into wanting the benefits more than the one who gives them. And so we get fixated on what we don't have and we miss the fact that we actually do have the one great possession, God himself who gives abundantly and withholds nothing of himself from us. And so we, we become distorted in the way we understand our own circumstances, and we can become toxic in the way we inhabit the world. And I think what we're seeing here in the quarrel of the Israelites is something just like that. The Israelites, they look around at the wilderness and they lament the fact that life in the wilderness doesn't look like the vision of promised life in a fruitful land. 
And they say, what's the point of even leaving Egypt if it's just going to be like this? We don't really want God. We want what we want. We want the promised land. Throughout the series, we've made this connection between Israel's life in the wilderness and our own experience of the Christian life in the midst of a broken world and, and more specifically life in 2020. Life where things are just unraveling in so many ways. And so the question that, prompt, that we're prompted with from a, a story like this is what do we do? When our experience of life in the world feels like it might crush us or when we encounter real need in our lives, when what we lack isn't just something that we want, but it's something that is a real need, when our health is failing or when we cannot find work or we experience hurt in our marriages and families and it feels like it's worse than death, how do we interpret those experiences and live in those experiences in a way that doesn't leave us hopeless. It's important to see that both the Israelites and Moses were thirsty. They both needed water, but they interpreted their experiences in so different ways, which led to very different responses. And for the people, they interpreted their thirst as an indication that God had failed them, and so they turned away because he didn't deliver the way he, that they wanted him to. But for Moses, he interpreted this as a real hardship that he had to endure as part of what it just means to live in the wilderness. It's not a sign of God's abandonment, but an occasion to turn to God for help. And at the very center of this life of faith is this interpreting our wilderness experience. Like Tuck said a couple weeks ago, right? The data, what do you do with it? And what story do you lean into to make sense of the data of your circumstances? Which story do you lean into to shape the way you live in the world? Moses consistently throughout Israel's story leans into the story of God's promise, the people continually into the story of what they lack. And once again, we see Moses along with Aaron emerging in the story, or it looks like he's about to emerge as this hero who stands in the gap between the quarrelsome people and the God that they keep trying to reject. And so he turns toward God on behalf of the people. And once again, God provides water. But unlike the previous episodes of Israel's wilderness story, this one takes a dark turn. Because this time Moses and Aaron actually fall apart. They start to act out of their frustration as well. And Moses' failure, if we want to try to understand what it is, because it's a little hard to tell if you're just reading the text. What is it? Like, what does he get wrong? Um, I think most basically what we see is that Moses' failure is a lack of trust. And it's a lack of care and concern for the people. He's basically weary of his job. Moses has a hard job. He's leading a grumbly people for 40 years through a really suboptimal situation. And they complain all the time. And his job has been to consistently lead and shepherd them along. But here we see him kind of snap. And he goes about it, he, he, and he, he begins to move away from that position of standing in the gap. Moses has consistently been like the hero, right, who shows up. Uh, and, and as we've seen many times, as goes the leader, so go the people. And that's a theme throughout the whole story. And that's been a good thing for the people thus far because Moses has shown up generally for them. But here it actually takes a different kind of turn. So Moses, he's fed up with the people. And basically he, what he does 
it, commentators differ on like what exactly he does. Is it because he was told to speak to the rock and instead he hits it, but he hits it twice. So that's like him, you know, getting his frustration out. That's one theory and there's probably something to it, but probably the more basic understanding of what he does is when he's asking the people, do you want us to bring water out of this rock? There might be a little bit of himself, like putting himself in the center and taking some credit for what God is doing. But more likely, it's his own lack of belief that God's going to do it. It's his own lack of belief that water's really going to spring from the rock. And so he's asking there for the people who are like, seriously, what do you want me to do? Bring water from the rock? As if that hadn't been something that had already happened before. And so a theme that we see in the story of Israel is that the cynicism that's hovering around the edges of the community in the beginnings of their wilderness moment begins to creep inward. And over time, slowly, the whole community of the people becomes more and more cynical, less and less trusting. And now finally, Moses himself falls in that same kind of way. Moses has stood in the gap, and now he's left the gap to stand squarely with the people as another rebellious Israelite. In Numbers chapter 27, the Lord uses the same word rebel to describe Moses that he uses here to describe the people. In Psalm 95, uh, we see, he talks about Moses hardening his heart at Meribah. Psalm 106 says that at Meribah, Moses had a bitter spirit and spoke rash words to the people. So the point isn't that like Moses and Aaron got some little details wrong or something, like they were supposed to say something and instead they struck the rock. It's not like God is this exacting, detail-obsessed judge. That's not the picture that's coming out here. The point is that Moses turned away from the Lord, hardened his heart, and didn't trust him. And the point of the story for each and every one of us is we do that too, right? This is how the story goes. In our own wilderness journeys, we're always tempted to want to put down roots and we want the promised land now and we're going to lean into the scarcity story and complain and grow bitter and live toward one another out of that lack. But here's the thing about life in the wilderness. Whether we're talking about 2020 or whether we're talking about life on earth in a broken world, we don't get to say we've arrived. All of human life in fellowship with God is pilgrimage life. It's a life of trust. It's a life of living by faith, not by sight. It's not about storehouses of grain, it's about daily bread. That is the theme of life in the world. And so the wilderness, as we've talked about it, becoming the context in which we may become wise, we have also recognized that wilderness is not a context that automatically makes us wise. Many of us become bitter. But to become wise in the wilderness is to allow all of the things that we trust to be stripped away in such a way that we actually begin to trust the one who is trustworthy, God himself, who is with us and who leads us not around suffering, but through it and beyond it into the world in which he's making all things new. The one where the living water is always not only available, but obvious and evident, and all of us are partaking of it in ways that make us life-giving as well. Life in the wilderness is hard. It's hard. But the God who is with us in it is faithful. And that's exactly what Moses lost sight of. And it says he failed to show the holiness of the Lord to the people. 
Now, what is the holiness of the Lord? Commentators say that the Lord shows his holiness both in his punishing Moses and his provision for the people. Moses' failure is twofold. He's not trusting the Lord. He's also not sufficiently concerned for his people. His people are without water. Moses doesn't seem to care enough about that. And at the same time, God can provide the water and Moses isn't trusting him for that. And so God overrides Moses' failure with his own faithfulness and he provides. Water bursts forth from the rock and the people drink. When we say God is holy, one of the things we're saying is that he's not like us, right? All the things that make us hard to love, all the things that make us fail at loving, God is not limited or beset by those things. God is other. God is good. And the God who reveals himself in Jesus to us is this God that we recognize as this unflinching, unrelenting, persistent, loving God. One whose faithfulness endures through everything. And so when we say God is holy, we recognize that we're saying something of he's, he's different. Yet at the same time, we recognize that from the very beginning of the biblical story, God has created human beings to do what? To be like him, to bear his image into the world. And so there's a calling to participate with God that is this calling of showing forth God's otherness, right? Showing forth God's holiness, of being a mirror that reflects the goodness and the beauty and the justice and the mercy and the peacemaking power of God in the world. In other words, there's an aspect of our humanity and an aspect of our calling that is not only to drink deeply of the living water that is Jesus, but to become a stream of that living water for the world. That by virtue of knowing us and being with us, that others may drink deeply of that stream that flows from God himself as well. The failure of Moses was to a failure to show forth the holiness of God to the world. And so God tells Moses that he's not going to get to enter the promised land. This is the, this is the big failure that means Moses is going to miss out on ever actually entering into that land to which he's been leading the people this whole time. Because at the end of the day, he quit his job. And so someone else is going to take up after him but the people still go. The promise is in no way uh, nullified by Moses' failure to carry it through. God provides another leader. God provides a way forward. God still carries his people in to that land of promise and he still builds them up and he still makes them a nation and they will still go on to fail time and time again. He will tell them as they go in to choose life and not death and they will choose death. They will again their trust will break. They will again become fixated on all the things other than God that they want to bank their life on. They will quit their job too. They will abdicate their high calling to reflect God's holiness to the world. And the story will keep moving forward like that time and time again. And there will be more wilderness moments. But if you keep reading the story all the way through and you get to Jesus, you get to the Gospels, you get to the New Testament, you meet Jesus, and you find in Jesus that God is so committing to showing his holiness to the world that he came himself to do it. That the failure of human beings 
to be like God in the world didn't even stop God from making human beings be like God in the world. He said, I'll come to do it myself. And so Jesus, he comes and God in Jesus writes himself into the story. He steps into the plane of our own wilderness existence and he comes to do that as a stream of living water that can't be shut off. And as you see his life touching the lives of other people, you just see the sick become healthy. You see those who are marginalized brought to the center. You see those who had sinned and considered themselves to be forever unlovable and unforgivable. You see them embraced and restored and brought back and their shame is cast out. You see the powerful and the proud brought low and sometimes made alive when they want to participate with King Jesus and what he's doing in the world. And sometimes they get moved to the side as a kingdom of God that is good and just and whole replaces the unjust and systemically oppressive kingdoms that stand in its way. Not by power, but love. It's an amazing story, and it's an, and it's an amazing calling, because as Jesus then takes up his life in the world, he calls disciples to join him in it. And he gathers a group around him that says, you're going to be my people in the world, to live like me. As I have loved you, so love one another. And the spirit that animates my life and that empowers my life, that leads me and guides me into that way of love, that spirit I'm going to give to you. I'm going to put into you and I'm going to fill you with it. And I'm going to send you in the power of that spirit into the world forever to be my presence in the earth, to be my fountain of living water, to irrigate this arid place and to bring forth life in the world. And that's our calling as followers of Jesus, as we think about it individually, as we think about it collectively, our calling is to go in communion with Jesus, that fountain of living water, to be drinking deeply from him and to be sharing what we're drinking with our friends, with our neighbors, to be peacemakers in the world, to be bearers of life, to be forgivers of sins, to be confessors of sins to receive and to give that love that Jesus extends to us. That is an abundance story. That is an abundant life and calling, even in the midst of the desert. Even as the frustrations pile up and the fatigue grows, the exhaustion creeps in. The abundant life is still there in the midst of the desert, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of this 2020 pandemic wilderness world. Jesus is here. God is with you. The spirit is in you and among you and in and among us. And God says, come to me, all you who are burdened. I will give you rest. Drink of me and live. Friends, that is the promise of God for us. The water is good. And the promise for our neighbors and the hope for our city and for our world is that we would actually believe him and drink and share and allow that vision of our humanity, a Jesus-shaped vision of our humanity to shape what we do, 
how we live, and how we love. As I have loved you, so love one another, says the Lord, the living water. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.